weren't here last, wasn't here last week. I have good grammar. Um, we had a, a little family emergency, and everything's, everything's fine, tested out fine. There was a couple questions, and they wanted to see Carrie immediately, just to see, just to make sure she was okay. She's back there. She's, she's okay. She was, she was okay, I should say. Now I'm not okay. Hi, sweetie. All right. Uh, Psalm 23, uh, it's actually one of my favorite passages. It's six verses that all hangs on the first two words, the Lord, and the Lord is the shepherd. And then every single line after this, in Hebrew, in Hebrew poetry, it usually states the beginning, and then everything is a supporting comment to the first thing. So the Lord is the shepherd because of the Lord, I lack nothing, which was what last week uh, Richard was talking about. In the, in the Lord, because he's our good shepherd, we have everything we need. Not when necessarily when we want it, but everything we need when we need it. Needing and wanting are two different things. And because of the Lord, we have everything we need. And then David goes through, and now the next one. He leads me beside, leads me to the green pastures takes me beside the quiet waters. Now, I have a question for you. Uh, I'm going to give you some symptoms, and the doctors in the room, don't cheat. Uh, uh, this, I want you to, I'm going to give you a bunch of them now. And I want you to tell me at the end of it, what am I describing? No WebMD, just, just go with it, okay? This affects 70 million Americans and is responsible for 38,000 deaths per year. Anything? My preaching. Oh, bad preaching. I thought you said Brad's preaching. Great. Let's wrestle, Dixon, you and me. Okay, it costs the U.S. economy $70 billion every year in productivity. Okay. Super Bowl Sunday and Facebook. Probably true, yeah. 64% of students blame their poor grades on it. The most severe cases are actually found between ages 30 and 40. Anxiety, that's a good guess, but no. Selfies. Selfie sticks. Half of all senior citizens are affected by it. I'm not looking at any senior citizens. Uh, Treatment includes everything from mouth guards to teas to medications. Insomnia. Dan Common was the guy who. How many doctors knew it? Thank you. You're a good doctor, Carl. Way to go. For many people in America, we can't sleep. For me, the problem isn't necessarily falling to sleep. Ask my wife. I fall asleep very, very quickly, and very and anywhere. Uh, the the problem for me is staying asleep. Uh, I, I can't sleep for more than four to five hours, but I can get there pretty quickly. For others, people go to bed and then they start thinking about anything and everything. You start thinking about the people that you talked to that day. Start thinking about all the stuff you have to do and then all the stuff you didn't get to do. Then you start thinking about all the people you forgot to think about. And then all the people that you're thinking about, you're going, huh, they're probably asleep right now. And I'm lying here awake. And then you get mad at them because they're able to sleep and you're not. And so we get more and more tired. 
because we're frustrated and then it becomes impossible to sleep. We're tired people. We need rest. When you ask somebody how they're doing, what's the first thing they say? They're busy or they're tired. We don't rest here. We're busy. We're tired. We don't sleep enough. We don't rest enough. So we try and catch naps in meetings if they're really, really boring. And a video call or a a conference call, we try to sleep there. We try to sleep during TV shows. I'm really good at that. Or we try to sleep maybe in the sermons. Brandon. Um, Got you back. Or sometimes we catch little naps at stoplights. Did you know that 72,000 car accidents per year are caused by sleeping behind the wheel? My brother was in one. My dad had this old El Camino that was perfect condition. He fell asleep and totaled it. Once dad realized that Bob was okay, it was like, but you ruined my car. And so this, it was like this little joke. And now every time we see an El Camino, we take a picture and say, thanks, Bob. (laughs) Sleeping. We fall asleep when we read. How many of you have fallen asleep in the middle of a conversation, maybe with your spouse? Yes. How many of you got caught? Yeah. We fall asleep during prayer. We rely on energy drinks or coffee drinks. We get five-hour energies, which is a weird amount of energy, but we get it. And then we wonder why we can't sleep. is because we're so hopped up on all the caffeine that we had, and now we can't sleep. In 1910, a bunch of statistics that we found interesting. In 1910, Americans averaged nine hours of sleep. Whoa, what happened? The internet. TV. Now we brag if we get six. That's considered a good night's sleep. The deeper reality is that our souls are tired, not just our bodies, not just our minds, but our souls are tired. Because we don't sleep, we try and keep up. Everyone's doing something, so we got to do our best. We have to measure up. We have to work harder. We have to go. And so we're constantly on the go. We're constantly moving. And so Psalm 23 comes along, and we learn that God will supply us with everything that we need. So the first thing that he says, after everything we need, it's no wonder that David, probably tired in his own day, writes and says, the first thing that God gives us is what we need the most, rest. David is writing this psalm as he's looking back on his life. Uh, Some scholars think that this is the time when his son-in-law threw the coup d'etat, and so he's hiding, and he's saying, this is everything that's happened. The Lord is my shepherd. And right now, David's remembering the times when he was so tired, and God gave him the rest he needs. It's not just rest like sleep, but it's deep rest for our souls. God gives us the rest. Davis, David is a shepherd, and most of this imagery is lost on us because when's the last time you talked to a shepherd? So David is talking about him, how he cared for his sheep, and how God cares for us as sheep. And there's a lot of work that the shepherd goes through. David's a shepherd. He knew how much watching and caretaking it takes to, take, to care for a flock of sheep. And so he says he brings them their needs and he brings them all the rest when they are weary. Sheep need a lot of help for them to go to sleep. They need the conditions to be perfect. They need the temperature to be right. And so do we. We won't sleep unless our conditions are just right. And so David's learned this and he begins to sketch out this. God had provided him with what he needed most in order to rest. And today I want to make three observations regarding the rhythm of movement 
and rest. The first one is that we desperately need rest. The second is that God provides the conditions for our rest. And the third is that movement is required. We desperately need rest. We need it. The only living creature that has this much trouble sleeping besides us is sheep. We have a lot in common with those little fluffy animals on the Serta commercial. We, we're, we're them. Bears hibernate. Dogs take naps. Sloths sleep 20 hours a week. I had a roommate in college that rivaled him. And then cat naps. Cats are ridiculous. We don't like to talk about them much here anyways. Some of you like them. But cats sleep all the time. We and sheep are the only things that have a hard time getting the sleep we need. For sheep, the conditions have to be just right. No predators, no tensions, no bugs, no hunger. Everything has to be perfect, and we're the same way. The fan has to be on for me. I have to have that white noise. I have really bad apnea, so if I don't have a mask, I'm not sleeping well, and neither is my wife. Uh, I, if, if it's a Sunday afternoon, the golf match needs to be on, and it needs to be at volume number eight. Just long and just loud enough so I can hear it when something good happens and wake up, but not too loud where it keeps me awake. It's the perfect conditions. We need the perfect conditions to sleep. For sheep, they needed the perfect conditions to sleep. You can't go to bed hungry. It's hard to sleep when you're hungry. You ever tried to go to bed after a very tense conversation? You can't do it. Sheep can't go to sleep if there's a little disagreement with, with another sheep in the flock. So what the shepherd would do is he would go and separate them so they can get the rest that they need. Very, very picky sleep sleepers. We know that we're tired and we need sleep, but the conditions are so hard to find. Daylight savings is coming. We're going to lose an hour. For some of you, it's okay. For those with kids, it's not. It's, it's even less sleep. We'll pay for this. If we can figure out how to find more rest, we'll find more rest and we'll pay for it. And then the bills come due and then we try to figure out how we're going to pay for the bills. We try to achieve, we try and we try and we do all of these things in order to get more rest. And then the candle burns at both ends and we're tired and we're burned out. And we know we're tired. We're not used to living. We're not made to live up to this breakneck pace of, of life that we live, but we try and do it anyways. And then when we try, we need rest so much. When we try and overexert ourselves, everything in our lives suffer, right? Your relationships suffer. They get tense. Your work suffers. Your health suffers. The more stressed you get, the, you can't sleep because you're so stressed. And then you're so stressed and you're so tired that you try and sit down and get some kind of quiet time reading your Bible or praying and whatever happens, you fall asleep. And then your relationship with God suffers. Which is why I believe that God made such a big deal about rest in scriptures. Because he knows who we are. He knows that at our core we are workaholics and we need rest. So in the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 20, God makes a bigger deal about the Sabbath commandment than any other command. The other ones are one and two lines. He spends a good three verses on the Sabbath. It'll be on the screen behind me. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you will labor to do all your work. But on the seventh day uh, it is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner in your towns. And then God does, does, does something, uh, he does something pretty interesting with this commands. He knows that we're workaholics, right? He ties up all the loopholes on this. You're not going to do any work. And just in case you're concerned that no work's going to get done, your son and your daughter aren't going to do any work. So there's that. And then he ties up more loopholes. The animals you own won't do any work. Any of your workers, you're going to give them the day off. Nobody is going to work. There's no loopholes in this one. You have to rest. Instantly, the workaholic's brains go, how do I get around this? No, I can't employ anybody if I take this seriously. I need to rest. And then it goes, if I rest, then who's going to do the things that needs to get done? Our world's going to fall apart. Well, God thought of this. It says in verse 11, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that was in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. In other words, the workaholics, the work's not going to get done. But if God can take a break after he made the heavens and the earth and the world didn't fall apart, you're going to be just fine. God's saying this to a group of people that used to define themselves by work. They're fresh out of Egypt, where day after day, for hour upon hour, all they would do was build bricks. Their lives were defined by how many bricks they could make. And then he comes, they come out, and God's teaching them a new way to be human. And he says, you're no longer going to be defined by your work and how much you produce. Instead, I want you to rest, to remember who you are, that you are not your work. You need to rest. And you need to take a break. Our job is not to run the universe. Our jobs and our work will go on without us. We need to rest. One theologian said it this way, even animals of burden must be turned to grass occasionally. The very sea pauses in between tides. The earth keeps the Sabbath in the winter and man, God's ambassadors, must either rest or faint, trim the lamp or let it burn out, must recruit vigor or grow prematurely old. In the long run, we shall do more by doing less. We need rest. And God knows that we need rest. Yet what do we do every time? We fight it. We fight it. We take the coffee. We fight the rest we need so much. Judah, when it comes to nap time, will start getting really, really special. Um, he'll, he, he, it's obvious he needs a nap. He's short-tempered. He gets super frustrated at the easiest things. He's moody. He's taking the bear and he's burying his face in it. He's tired. He's rubbing his eyes. And I usually say, hey, partner, do you, do you want to go take a nap? Not, not yet. Not yet. And he just fights it and fights it. Last night, bedtime. Hey, it's time for bed. Not yet. Not yet. And he runs and hides himself in the, in the pillows. And he's a really terrible hider. But He's fighting every single aspect that, of what he needs most. He needs rest. We do the same thing. I can't rest. I got too much stuff to do. I can't rest. Everything will fall apart. I can't do this. I can't stop. I can't take a break. I can't breathe. I have too much stuff to do. We, we resist what we need the most. And then God comes 
and says, this is what you need. You need to rest. And then God provides the, the right conditions for our rest. He provides the conditions. Look at the, what he says. It says, he makes me lie down beside or the green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Who's the active one in that statement? It's God. God's doing the work. He makes me lie down. He's the one in charge, the shepherd. The shepherd selects the trails. The shepherd knows where to go. He prepares the pasture. It's the sheep's job to simply watch the shepherd and go where he leads. And with our eyes on the shepherd, Isaiah says says it this way, with our eyes on the shepherd, we will keep our perfect peace. Uh, Those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. We can look at this passage and say that God makes us rest, like he, he forces us to lay down, but that's not what David's implying. What David's saying is that God prepares the pasture in such a way that it brings us rest. He provides the conditions for us to rest. We have no choice but to relax. It's as if you walk into a room and everything is just right, and you're like, Uh, there's going to be some napping or there's going to be some sleeping here. This is what I need most. Everything is perfect for rest. The, The shepherd does the work and all we need to do is trust. If you look at the landscape that David's talking about, where he would have taken his sheep those days, it's not as if green pastures were something that you found. They had to be created. They're dry hills, they're brushy, they're rocky, they're full of stumps. So the shepherd had to do some work. He had to irrigate them to bring the right kind of grass. He had to take away all the rocks. He had to pull the stumps out. He had to move things around and he had to plant the grass in order for the sheep to have the right conditions for it the right conditions so they can get to sleep. Sheeps didn't like distractions. They get freaked out of bugs. And so we'll learn in a couple weeks, the shepherd would take the oil and he'd anoint their heads with oil so the bugs would stay away from them so there wouldn't be any distraction. It's like the DEET spray to keep the mosquitoes away. So they wouldn't be agitated, so they wouldn't be afraid. He would remove the predators. And then sheep don't like tension. So he'd separate the two that were get, wouldn't be along. So what you find is that the shepherd is doing all of this work in order to make so when the sheep come into the pasture, they have no choice but to rest. God is constantly leading his people to find rest. And we see this all through scripture. In Exodus, the people are being taken out of, uh, of Egypt, not just so that they can be free from slavery, but so that they can find the rest they need. Isaiah 40 talks more about a Messiah that is carrying and leading his sheep to rest. He says the Messiah tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Jesus says it this way in Matthew eleven twenty eight: 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. There's two invitations in that Isaiah passage and in that Matthew passage. There's an invitation to be led and there's an invitation to come and rest. When you put them together, Jesus says, follow me because I have the provisions you need and I have the rest for your soul. Because when we think about it, we are all trying and aching for more in our lives. 
And Jesus says, I have everything that you need. I have the conditions to put your soul at rest, but you need to follow me in this. The shepherd invites us to himself and says, all the rest you need is found here. Partake in the provisions that only Christ can bring. Jesus talks about this more in John 6, in these four verses. He says, Jesus said to them, Verily, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it was my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then in verse 51, he says, I'm the living bread that comes from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This is the bread of my flesh, which I, which I will give for the life of the world. The provision that Jesus is talking about in that context is not the miracles, it's himself. What they're needing for their peace, what they need for their rest, wasn't another show of turning two loaves to feed 5,000, but it was the very shepherd who was giving them the bread. He invites them to come and find rest. Come and find rest in drawing near to Christ. It's not just a Bible study. It's not just more time with your gathering. To find provision in Christ, those places are great foundations But hear me say that those are only the foundations. Those are great places to start. But to find the rest we need so much has to deal with a posture of our hearts. It has to deal with submission. It has to deal with surrender. We have to surrender to what the shepherd is giving to us. Submission is, is a word that has a lot of, uh, of connotations that we run away from it. But what it is saying is surrender that we stop trying to fight it, that we stop running around our house saying, not yet, not yet, not yet. And we say, yes, this is the rest that we need so much. And this is the posture that we need to have. We come to the shepherd, we find our provision. The green pastures is one thing. The still waters is another part. Sheep don't like water. They're afraid of it. Swift waters means that they can go drink in the water and then they're going to be swept away. So they stayed away from it. Still waters were waters that were calm. They weren't loud enough to draw, to to distract them from any kind of predator coming. They were able to walk up and approach it and maybe get their feet wet a little bit and start drinking the water without any fear of being taken away. And so David says, he leads me besides waters that are safe, waters that you can actually drink from. There's a whole bunch of themes in water with water in scripture. Water is always a sign of life. In the desert, Jesus provides water from a rock. Jesus says in John, I'm the living water. He says in John 4, come to me and I will give you exactly what you need. Everyone is thirsty, he says to the woman at the well. And they're going to take their thirst and they're going to find uh, quenching thirst. They're going to try and quench their thirst from places that will never really satisfy. And he tells this woman at the well in John 4, who has a sordid past, stop trying to quench your thirst by yet another decision that's not the true Messiah. 
She's been going, this is her fifth marriage in John 4, and the woman, then the man she's with is not her husband. And so she's going from relationship to relationship, trying to find everything that she's been looking for. And Jesus says, stop trying to find your value and your worth. Your thirst for those things is good, but you're trying to find and quench your thirst with the things that will never satisfy. So Jesus says, stop, stop doing that. And come to me because I'm the still waters where you can actually get a drink. And when she actually, when she does this, she's satisfied and then her whole town comes to Jesus because of it. Jesus provides us the water, the still waters. There's something with water and it has to do with what we're thirsty for. We're all thirsty for something. And as the Sprite commercial always says, uh, obey your thirst, right? Follow your thirst, Don't make peace with your thirst. The longings that we have, whether they be for intimacy or or, or community, or or whether they're because of uh, uh, their longings to be known and to know people, those aren't bad thirsts to have. The problems that we have is that we try and quench those thirsts with the wrong things. So we desire intimacy, but we're afraid of relationships. And so we settle for the shallow. We want community, but we never really want to be known or we're guarded or we're afraid of our pasts. And so we never really know other people. You see what I'm saying? We have these thirsts and we mask them and we, 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 we paint over the symptoms without ever really addressing the problems. And so we make peace with our thirsts. Well, I can just get by if I do this. Instead of actually going through and, and, and going through and finding the source of your thirst, what are you thirsty for? The only thing that can ever quench your thirst is Christ. Follow it fully. Let it take you to the still waters. Let it lead you to the living water, and let it become a source that will never ever go out within you. We need rest. Jesus provides us with the rest we need, but in order to get the rest, we all need to move, which is the hardest part of all. He leads me, he guides me. All involve movement. They all respond to the shepherd's call. He leads and he guides. What it is, it's a picture of a shepherd who's not behind you yelling, go, 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 three more steps, hotter, colder. It's not someone who's beside you who feels like they're lost with you. It's someone who's ahead of you saying, come this way. Watch your step. You need to go here. He's guiding you. He's leading you. He's out ahead of you. He's taking you to this place. There's another pattern in scripture is that there's people who will not move to find the rest. When, the, when God calls, they say, I'm good right here. I'm just going to keep going on this pattern of life. And they never follow the leader. They never follow the shepherd. The people of Israel had to learn this new way of life. And God even provides them breakfast and dinner every single day when they're in the desert. It's, he says, on the fifth, on the sixth day, take double the allotment so that you can rest on the Sabbath day. Still, in Exodus uh, 16, 27, it says some of the people went out on the seventh day and they didn't find any food. The rest is there. He's providing the right conditions so that they will rest, and yet they miss it. They didn't want to move and learn a new rhythm in life. 
In, in Luke 15, it's the story of the prodigal son. There's a party happening. The brother is back. Everyone's throwing, everyone's, the, the fattened cow's killed. Everyone's getting their fill. Yet there's one older brother who's outside who refuses to enter to find rest. There's always people who will refuse to move to what they really need the most. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem in Matthew 23. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, yet you were not willing. There's always those who will refuse what we need the most. Jesus provides us with the rest we need. He gives us the conditions that we all want, yet we settle for something that's less. Just like there's stories in Scripture about people refusing, there's plenty more of people who decided to move. Abraham left and went and chased after what God was calling him to do. Moses went back into Pharaoh's courts. Joshua and Caleb stand on the sidelines. When everybody else in the camp says that this is too big of a thing for God to do, Joshua and Caleb says, we're not going to let popular opinion stand between what God wants. We need to move. And through scripture, you'll find countless stories that we don't have time to go into about people moving in order to find what God, where God is leading them. Sheep need to move to find water, and we need to move in order to be transformed. If, we're, if our job as a Christian is to be more and more changed, to be like Christ, then every transformation is, it comes from revelation, and we need to move in order to have it. So why do we resist rest? Why do we stop resting? Can you imagine with me what it was like for Adam to fall asleep for the very first time? He's sitting there. All of a sudden, he gets really tired. He has no idea because he's never slept. And he closes his eyes, and he wakes up. He doesn't know what's happening to him. And then he, find, he thinks he's dying. If he knew what death was, this is pretty close. And so he falls asleep, and then he wakes up, or he comes back to life. And he thinks, that was awesome. But there's something about falling asleep that is vulnerable. In college, if you fell asleep too soon, you'd get stuff written all over your face. There's things about falling asleep. When I fall asleep, I am dead to the world. It, Carrie has literally shaken me trying to get me to wake up, and it doesn't work. When you fall asleep, your nervous system goes lack. Your, your muscles are relaxed. Your consciousness is suspended. So falling asleep is a lack of control. And when we rest, what we're really saying is that we are not in control. And so we're afraid to rest because to rest makes us vulnerable. And so Jesus comes and like a good shepherd brings us to the right place where we can be transformed. But in order to be transformed, we have to change. In order to be changed, we have to let go. But we want so much control that we grip so tight and we miss the transformation. I try and play golf, and sometimes I'm good at it. And there, one of the less, first lessons I had was all about grip. And, and what the guy said was I was holding on to this club way too tight. And because I was trying to control and just muscle through it, I was not hitting the ball very well at all. Uh, and, and he said, you need to, you need to loosen, loosen your grip a little bit. 
And I said, but if I loosen my grip, I'm going to lose control and the golf club's going to go further than my shot. And he says, trust me on this one. And he loosened the grip. And what I found is my hands felt a lot better after I was playing golf. But then I also noticed that my shots got a lot better because I wasn't gripping, trying to control and squeeze the life out of a nine iron. My hands were relaxed. I was gripping it, but my hands were along for a ride. My hands were resting on the club. And what I found is that we resist rest because we're too afraid to actually loosen up our hands on our lives. And so we get more and more tired because we're gripping as hard as we can to everything and we won't stop and say, God, you're in control. You made the world in six days and you took a break and everything stayed just fine. I can take a break. I can rest. The provisions have been made. The lights are dim. The work's been done. All you need to do is come and rest. And rest might look different for every single one of us, but our rest always begins with the person of Christ. In him, you'll find all the provisions for your rest. You'll find everything you need. Your failure doesn't stand in the way of allowing him to bring you rest. Your shepherd invites you to lie down, to experience his love and find the rest. Can you imagine, this is what we, we do, when Judah finally goes to sleep, there's something about him or us looking at him and seeing him resting because it's what he needs the most. Can you imagine our shepherd? He's prepared the pasture for you. He's given you the drink of water. And now he's looking at you saying, just rest. Everything might look better after a good night's sleep. You won't be frustrated. Just rest. He's done all the work, and now we get to rest in his grace. Today, we come to communion which is a picture of God's grace and provision for us. Because of his death, because of, uh, of his resurrection, because of the grace that is shown in this, we can have new life and we can rest in the sacrifice that Christ has made for us. For it is by grace that we've been saved. Not our work, so we rest in the provision that God has already made. Today, as I pray, as, as we take some time to reflect, before we come and take communion, there's, there's some reflection that needs to be done in your hearts. Is there a place in my life or in your life where you're not resting in the finished work of the gospel? Where you're not resting in what Jesus has done for you? You're trying to earn it still. You're trying to earn grace. You're trying to earn mercy. And you're not resting yet. Is there a place where you need to rest. Before you come, find that place. Give it back to the Lord. When we come, we celebrate the, re the death, the resurrection, the finished work on the cross. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for providing us the space for your rest. And Lord, may we find that place. Lord, may we surrender the control to try and control everything about our lives where we grip way too tight and we end up mission shots left and right. Lord, may we relax our grip and let you take control.
You are the good shepherd. You give us everything that we need. Lord, may we rest in that provision. In Jesus' name, amen.